0: Guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, as ever, remember that all the information you're about to hear is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any illnesses or diseases. Please make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any of the things we may discuss in this podcast. Speaking of education, if you're an exercise professional, coach, or anyone working within the realms of health and fitness, when you're done listening here make sure to head on over and check out our education portal at www.themusclementors.co.uk. If you like us and truly care about the well-being of your clients, about getting access to the best and most up-to-date information in the areas of exercise mechanics, hypertrophy, sleep, improving your online coaching services and much, much more, then be sure to join up. You'll gain access to endless hours of content focused around everything you need to become a true elite coach and get your clients in the best physical shape possible. This is all in the form of video lectures, weekly live education sessions and study groups. You also get early access to our podcast and access to any exclusive Q&A segments we do with our guests. The content never stops on the portal. It's not a one-off course. It's an ever-evolving learning platform designed to give you the best information possible in this area. Head on over to our website and become part of our epic community full to the brim of other professionals who like yourself are focused on providing the best health and physique related results for their clients. Join us and them and gain the resources, support and accountability you need to become the elite of the health and fitness industry. For now though grab yourself a pen and paper and enjoy the show. Focus. Oh, no, there works. we go. We start now. <laughs> How are doing, people? So, welcome back to the Master Mentors podcast. Um, we're down. We're down. Ross this week, so it's Paul, Jimbo, and myself. Um, Hope he had a good yeah, excuse. I'm terrible. He doesn't. He's
1: off to get a haircut, but he wears a baseball cap the entire time, so I don't even know that he's got hair.
0: I know. I, I mean, yeah, I was. I believe he's balding. So, mm. well, what was the fucking point anyway? <laughs>
2: Don't you just do that yourself at home if you got all
0: right? Yeah, that's why I do, mate. Um, you should take a leaf out of my book for sure. The um, it's also cheap, cheap, you don't have to pay for that stuff, you don't have to queue up, you don't have to wait for appointments, you don't have to wait for things to open up over lockdown again. It's just a great idea. Apparently,
1: Luke's really cheap at heart, is what you guys are learning <laughs> listening to this.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> but no, so we're back for to essentially round off some of the questions we had from um, the last, well, I think we, we, we might not get through all of them, but we've got a few left um, from the last Q&A box we put out on Instagram. Um, and we'll start off with, by Coach Cantley, thoughts on German body composition training. Go.
1: I mean, we should probably recap in that case. If someone doesn't know what German body comp is, and I mean, I first came across German body comp probably like most people who are familiar with through Poliquin, uh, kind of back in the day. So classically, it's we're going to get a bunch of supersets. So we'll have an A1, an A2, a B1, a B2, a C1, a C2. Usually it's between three to five sets. We're going to have big non-competing exercises with about 45 seconds between them. So we might have something like a back squat into a chin up. You go back squat, let's say 10 reps, 45 seconds rest. Chin ups many as you got, 45 seconds rest, back to the squat, 45 seconds back to the channel, bosh, 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 and work your way kind of through that. So that's the rough outline of German body comp. So the the question was just thoughts on it in, in general, or
0: yeah, I mean, I I prefer Azerbaijani body composition training. <laughs> Never like the Germans. The Azerbaijanis were always the ones. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But yeah, so I mean you kind of outline what it is there. So yeah, on what your do you guys have any initial thoughts on? I mean, do you even use it?
2: How brutally hard it would be if we went and did that type of program ourselves. Yeah. 47 40 seconds of rest, then.
1: Yes, it's not fun. I, 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 I use it occasionally as a structure. If someone's training like three times a week or kind of less and they want to go hard and it, as as Jimbo kind of alluded to there, if you're strong and relatively well-trained, this ain't going to work if we try and pair things like a back squat and shit up. That's not happening. The loads are going to be too high. You're going to die after a set and a half. Um, But for people starting out-ish or early-ish on, as long as you go in somewhat accepting that the performance in each set is going to suffer because of the way you're structuring this and you're structuring it as such, almost to give the impression to the client of real hard work because it is really hard work. Uh, and that, I know the guys at UP used to use it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. Lucas Chien um, yeah. still uses and quite likes a German body comp thing for a lot of his transformation things. And you then get to insert whatever exercises are appropriate for your client in there. So if you all try and almost get that buy-in from a client in a traumatic transformation and they're the kind of personality that wants to feel like they really worked, it can certainly be useful. It definitely works. There's no two ways around that. Whether it's necessary, whether it's the smartest way of doing all these things, that's a, a separate conversation consideration. Like I don't use it myself or for many clients, but I have used it.
0: Yeah. And I think it, it it's, you know, what I think people should understand is there's nothing magic about it. It's yeah. popular because it's an easy like protocol to fit your thought, you know fit exercises into but and you can adapt it you know you can still approach it with some of this the stuff we discussed in the last one so still having that kind of mechanical perspective to program design and all that sort of stuff and that will make it potentially easier to offset some of those performance deficits that you might see set to set exercise to exercise but the but yeah it's um that there's it's just literally a structure and it's quite you know for for people even coaches starting out it can be an easy way to eliminate some of the thinking of oh i've got to design this crazy program it's like this thing you know it's kind of the blueprint and then you just fill it in as you need to and that can be an easy way for you to kind of get used to that scenario and
1: so you, one yeah. i actually did use i think about it, i actually used it a, a, for a reasonable bit for home workout stuff during <laughs> lockdown things of being like all right we're limited in our exercise choices how do i still especially when people had to transition to home workouts and there's a, a huge amount of skepticism and then, well, how effective can a home workout be? And so that actually became one of the tools that was useful for people realising oh, okay, I can still work hard at this so there's, again, we go back to who's it for, when's it useful, what's the goal of those things and it it has its place
2: Yeah The only thing I'd add to that as well, is just, it's tough to implement practically Mm -hmm. Um, because if you go and, we'll take out the squat because a lot of times I wouldn't even programme that, but if we're going hack squat or say to a chest supported row um yeah. like actually to go back and forth between them two machines especially at this current moment in time
1: is bloody hard yeah, yeah. I mean, that leads in even to here's a, a useful tip that's not tangentially related to the question but like as a coach especially if you're an online coach one of the things you should ask clients if you're setting up supersets is is that possible for this client with their gym layout like let's say you've got a leg press and you've like leg press and lat pull down that's the pairing i've put for this client that lap pull down could be on a different floor. Uh, and so checking with them what stuff's yeah. near each other, getting video or getting foot like pictures of their gym layout and the kit they've got is, is useful for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Just bearing that in mind. I still do that in terms of um, <laughs> I still make that mistake. No, I I basically <laughs> sometimes will um, you know, because there'll be clients I write new programs for and put, you know, potentially haven't You reminded myself of the gym setup because you know i've been coaching for a long time or something like that and some of the i forget the layout sometimes but i'll always say to them have a good look through this if there's any of these pairings or things like that that aren't going to work logistically or even if it's a case of you're not doing a paired exercise but you've gone leg press leg extension you know and then some other movement and it involves them going from like one floor to another yeah. floor and then back to the same floor you're like why don't you just reorder that so that you do the two yeah. on the same floor and then go to the other floor um, you know that, that sort of thing can work um, simple tip to well. yeah
1: Yeah, simple tip on that one for for gym layout that I use for a lot of clients for anyone listening is I have a Google Drive folder that's called equipment or gym equipment for each client. I get them to, they feel a bit like a dick sometimes for the first one. Go around and take a picture of every bit of kit they've got in the gym. I don't mean every individual dumbbell for the record in case someone got really confused about that. And then stick that in that folder. Then each time I come to write a new program for them, I can just have a quick look. What options have they got available? What bit of kit? What brand of kit? Et cetera. And then you can run that guy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. and then there's another thing you can do if people do use that approach is pair, use exercise pairings where you like take, you know, one of them is machine-based and the others is maybe free weight-based or body yeah. weight-based so either you don't need a bit of kit so it could be like a hack squat into a dumbbell lateral or a floor yeah. you know, dumbbell floor press and then they can just take the dumbbells and jump on the floor next to the hack squat and they don't have to worry about losing a, a piece of kit. That's I that's
2: know. the way practically I applied it yeah. the, when yeah. I was at yeah. master gym. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And again, and that's where like, you know, once you get to a certain level and depending on the
1: goal and stuff like that, GBC
0: becomes less and less viable.
1: Yeah. it's one of the, also the, the often forgotten parts of program design is practicality that just is so rarely spoken about. But like some things that sound like a great idea just aren't going to work in your client's gym and the layout and what they've kind of got. And it's like, don't forget to consider just that practical element. Yeah.
0: Especially when you like follow programs that you might have bought online that it says, okay, yeah. day one, you're going to do box squat and day two you're going to do a cambered bar squat and you know whether it's like a power program is a good example and you're like i don't have a cambered bar <laughs> what do nah. i do you know it's like oh yeah you know you might have to adapt things sometimes <laughs> you know you have to go and buy a Canberra yeah. bar or join the you know, gym. Bring that like, <laughs> you
1: know, like, with you, yeah. put
0: it in the car. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. You. <laughs> be the, the context of like a powerful, you know, there are people that sell those kind of one-size-fits-all hypertrophy programmes as well. And there'll be, you know, movements in there that you then think, shit, you know, this person's put hack squat in and the hack squat's on the third floor and I've got to do with other stuff. And you're like, well, screw it. I'm just going to try and stick to the programme. You're like, that's not practical. It doesn't, you know, and then it kind of harks back to what we spoke about last week in terms of does it really matter? Yeah. um but we digressed a little there but uh gbc i mean summary of that is it can be fairly useful um just gauge the like if it's appropriate and then you know based you know still take that same kind of um maybe mechanical approach mechanical perspective to how you set it up um, so says a little
2: little plug if anyone wants to know more on the exercise mechanics section of the portal, the muscle mentors methods. I think it's about second lesson in. It's about 45 minutes an hour. It's just talking through the thought process in the early days for um, so general population type clients
0: of where we're going to go with it. Yeah, we do. So head over to the website.
1: It features we're, a few Cobras. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you can uh, head over to the website for the answers to the rest of the questions. So,
1: we'll <laughs> so at the end of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but then, i mean the next one is so the next two are similarly related so um the actual question itself was um where slash how would you recommend fitting an arm specific workout into a push pull leg split and then the other variation that you got james was where would you fit an rdl
1: into an upper lower split um so well, arms day every day so i think that's the solution
0: push pull legs sack that it's just an arm split mate. just just arms
1: arms 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 <laughs> no. Jimbo you want
2: to go uh honestly I don't generally program a purely an arms day but if I was and maybe the like the split could be something like obviously you do for your push and your pull you've got obviously arms in there so push triceps pull biceps legs and the day off and then something that's So arm basis, whether obviously it's push and pull, it could be an upper body uh, where you've got maybe some form of pressing that you're trying to get a bit more elbow extension focus, some sort of pulling that's working a bit more elbow flexion um, focus, and then working different degrees of um, shoulder position. Um, So then if it runs over a four day split, then you could then go and do legs maybe on the Saturday uh, and then go back around it. So your upper session at the back end of the week um, is a bit more elbow extension, elbow flexion focus. Um, or you could just run something where you go full body push, full body pull on the back end of the week as well, which again gives you that ability then to maybe go a bit more um, tricep one day, obviously bicep the next day. Um, but I wouldn't personally put an arm day in. I'd just maybe emphasize arms a bit more within the push session or the pull session. That yeah, my way of good, going.
0: Yeah, yeah and really. It's the thing of quite often we get into that mindset, and you can do it early on maybe where you don't have a, straight up priority body part and so you can kind of just expect a, a few body like a, a larger amount of body parts to grow at a similar rate sort of thing I mean I wouldn't expect everything to grow at the same rate but you cannot necessarily hone in on a specific body part which means there is less need to have like a specific arm day um so you could do some tag on arm work at the end of each of those days so you could do like a push session and finish it off with a bit of biceps and or a bit of both biceps triceps and finish the pool session as well and just spread the load across the week so that you're not killing it in one, you know, killing them in one session. Um, But there may come a point where you do need more of a specialized approach and you might, you might, you know, depending on your goal, if you want to compete and you go, actually, I do need to bring my arms up. I might bring some of the volume down on some of my stronger body parts and put a bit more into my arms, which may then equate to having an arm day. Um, and then, but then you would you would have to expect that you might have to move away from a push pull leg split. Um, yeah. you know, so you, you, so that that's the thing. If, if you're in this position now and you're like, actually, I have a fairly strong back, you know, maybe I only need to train that. You know, you get some people who I know where they're extreme body parts, like Josh Maley. I think he trains his quads like once a bloody fortnight. So he, <laughs> you know, but when you have body parts that strong, um, you know, and you're assisted maybe, so you've got less need to worry about like losing size as well. There's more play to, you know, pull back a bit more drastically in volume in certain areas. Um, and then put a bit more volume, like more than you think you could actually deal with in, in others, like your
1: arcs potentially. You're also potentially looking at, okay, so we're running push-pull legs, but does that mean we're training three times a week or are we have we got something that doesn't fit into a week that is push-pull legs, then he takes a rest day and then he rolls just back through it? Like within that week, does, do we then need to, is it specifically push-pull legs or is this dude actually training five days across the course, in which case, there's no reason you can't go push-pull legs Upper lower or push pull legs specialization day specialization day or whatever that kind of wants so I think you'd want a bit more info from from I'm assuming a guy being that it's a it's an arms based question uh, as to exactly how you might go about doing that
0: it's actually but, yeah, it's actually a toddler who asked this question
1: <laughs>
0: in fact it was Jaden
1: yeah I was gonna say he's starting well <laughs> already
0: but yeah that that's the and and again it kind of comes back to the push pull leg split. Nothing magic about it, you know. People yeah. say "Oh my god, this—that's the approach that some of these big guys use," and because it, in itself, generally, lends like quite a high frequency, you know, to the the way like how often you're stimulating certain body parts and stuff. But again, research on frequency and volume is kind of up in the air um, as it is. But you know, so yeah, there's nothing magic about it. So if it if this meant that you go actually. Do I need to do push pull legs? Can I come up with some sort of hybrid where I, I you might still want a push and a pull focus to a, to some sessions, but they're not strictly just push and pull. Um, especially when we get in, you know, you get into actually what muscles are actually you know what they're doing. And like you know, when you think in the context of arm training, like when you're doing back movements, like Jimbo said, if you if you a challenge on some rows to your elbow flexor sweep, but then your tricep is also a shoulder extensor, so your tricep is working to do this thing of like pulling your arm backwards. And similarly, when you're doing certain chest movements and delt movements, your bicep is a shoulder flexor. So it's going to get some stimulus there. Is it going to get a massive stimulus? Potentially not. Um, but like they, they may get something which, you know, will total up some of that stimulus that they get across the week. Um, some of the stimulation they get. So. I think we've had yeah, in the past
1: questions on like how do you figure out what the appropriate volume for a thick for a body part is and like that's a super difficult question to be yeah. even begin to answer
0: and it's never static that will change day yeah. to day week to week you know that's you, you might be in a ballpark in the range yeah. but again that's going to be we wouldn't be able to just guess that on a podcast like there are tables out there that, that people have actually attempted to say this is maximum recovery volume for your quads and it's like well that's not going to be the same for everyone. All three of us can have completely different ones there. Um, and, yeah, like the,
2: yeah. Number one, key thing for a majority of people is just pull back your volume, standardize your form, work on execution, then pull up intensity. Okay, you've got that. Okay, now you can actually train for three sets, four sets, whatever it is, X amount of reps. Then we can start to have that discussion. Whereas most people, just majority of sets in there aren't really doing anything, just warm-ups.
1: Hmm. yeah finding like the right exercises that suit you and your physiology and then nailing as as Jimbo says that executions so they will almost look photographic to each other it's like can we nail that stuff down first yeah. and then start layering in the volume and intensity pieces
0: yeah so yeah so hopefully that like where can you fit an arm specific workout question like do you even need it like can you split it up and spread it across the days you know
2: um, oh, you, you could do just take it literally and put where do you put an arms day? And actually, I've done this before because it's a polyquin thing going back to polyquin. Actually, do a full day of arms, yeah. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. I can't remember the exact protocol for it, but it's literally like five workouts through the day. That, oh, here's one oh, right. in a day. Was was it, was
1: an inch in a... What was that protocol called? It's he
2: had, like a, a had an inch to your guns in a day. Bro. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> actually, literally, and we're like, yeah, we're doing an arm day for eight hours. It was something stupid. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it I remember
1: that one. That but was that,
0: was was ri- well, that was Rich Piano, wasn't it? Not Poliquin. No, nah, po- so oh, maybe. Polyquin, but but Poliquin had something. Okay, we we'll talked about Bloody that. Hell. But that's the <laughs> thing of, again, you know, the fact there's studies that make that mistake where there was a study where they looked at, like, the effect of metabolic stress. They were trying to, like, say metabolic stress doesn't contribute to hypertrophy and they basically did a training program for like three weeks and then um took the measurements and and they were all like during this during the protocol or something there was like an increase in size and then like they had like a detraining period so they trained three weeks and they were like there was there was a size increase And then after a week of detraining, it it all went away. And they were like, oh, yeah, that that means they lost all the sides because they then basically used like BFR. So they just put the people in a detraining period and on one limb, they like strapped the limb up with a BFR cuff to cause some sort of hypoxic um, environment um, without any actual training stimulus. And the other, they just left it um, to just do some active recovery stuff, just chilling out and they both limbs lost the same amount of size in the week and they were like yeah so hyper- you don't retain hy- you know hypertrophic adaptation it was like in three weeks hey eh, you're not going to get any and all that is going to happen is this like you know the edema and swelling that will accompany tissue and that was all that dissipated and it was like they still make that mistake in studies so like people base protocols of that They'll, and then they take progress pictures after like a big session They're like i just gained an inch from my quads right like, wait 10 like, don't train for 10 days that will all gone. <laughs>
1: forget yeah, don't train for 10 days. Don't tra- like give it a few hours. It's yeah. why we need <laughs> to train guns on a Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, I mean, it, sometimes but it
0: takes a while, but that, that's <laughs> the thing, like that edema that we get from training, that uh, is hilarious that Poliquin used that to leverage a program. Man's a genius.
1: You, I've ne- I never actually did that day because it, it's an obscene day. But imagine how sore your arms must be the next day. So, oh. I'm not
0: going to lie. I'm actually so glad I did. I missed the Poliquin boat. <laughs> I didn't do Poliquin stuff. I'm like, had I done that, I, like, I've, I mean, I probably, like, um, actually thought it was great. and then, But at the same time, I'm like, now, if I looked at it now, I'd be like, what is this? This
1: stuff was still arguably better than anyone else's at the time. So that's, that's what like,
0: time. Like, Yeah, yeah.
1: Because previously, the, the guy I was into before Polycorn was Czech. Yeah. Uh, Paul Czech, like, how to eat, move, and be healthy, convinced me I was going to die from, like, a million different microwaves. Uh, <laughs> and just... BPA in every yeah. plastic. I was like, oh my god. Flav,
2: orange flavour in there would have
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
0: yeah,
2: but now
1: doesn't
0: he he does stone stuff with Yeah,
1: he stacks stones. In. He's very much into like grounding and things. But like really taken to a, the next level. Bold, old. Anyway.
0: So same like RDL upper lower. Similar. Just do RDLs and arms, to be honest. Yeah. Be
1: fine.
0: Yeah. I mean that that kind of comes about I would say break down again look at it from a muscular perspective and like the i try and break it down from a mechanical perspective like what's involved in rdl you can't really call it a lower body exercise it's as much an upper body as it is a lower so when you go should it go on a lower day it's like if it's you know if you're basing it you know trying to place it based on which tissues it's stimulating it's stimulating pretty much everything on the posterior side of your body and as a consequence everything on the anterior side um so uh yeah it's uh it's hard to put you know in those situations so it's um and that's
1: always- one where you start to feel it out a little bit with your yeah. client and be like right well what are they strong at what are they not so strong at? See, does it seem to interfere as much yeah. like for me who is long-limbed and so most of my lifts unless i've got good kit that allow me to get a bit more of a quad focus on on my compound and lower body moves become quite hip dominant so me sticking in certain leg presses or squat movements with an RDL just means I beat the living hell out of my spine and hip In which case okay maybe we need to take that into account but if I've got someone who's not built like that at all I might have completely different considerations
0: mm. yeah and that, and that's that's the kind of thing you've got to consider the individual in front of you um, that skill level can you even do it can they even do it um, and then yeah like what you know what's the actual goal of the training phase like is it you know do you want put an rdl i mean most people will put an rdl in for like hip extension stimulus in which case makes maybe a bit more sense to stick it on your lower day um
2: then we've got to look at how we're applying stuff out the week so if it's an upper lower we're going to go four days a week so then we could simply go monday wednesday friday saturday um so monday and wednesday obviously lower than upper um so then it wouldn't matter so much where you put it with that because you've got the day off in the team potentially. Um, my thought process would maybe like well, if you're going to put it on the lower day you put it towards the back end of the session and once you fatigue something through hip extension three fatigue something through sort of posterior chain lower body wise you're not going to use as much load so then that fatigue isn't going to maybe have a knock on effect onto the upper session and then when you come down to a background say the Friday Saturday sessions you hit hitting the lower and upper with two days back to back you go 45 degree back extension as your hip extension movement. So you're using the barbell RDL at the start of the week, but then the hip extension movement later on in the week when you've got up the next day is something like a 45 degree back extension. And then you also use something like on the upper day, which is maybe, I don't know, an unsupported, uh, so a row movement without a chest support, like a low cable type row. So you've got yeah. some form of spinal load in there, but not too much. So again, it's not going to have a knock-on effect from that lower day. So it's looking at how you program, how you plan stuff out throughout the week is key.
1: The other one, even like it, potentially, let's go within a session as well. And let's say we've got, I want to use a female who wants to grow some glute work. And we've spoken about how you might order the sequence of where's the force highest in a shortened, mid, or lengthened range. Placement of that, maybe you go short position, hip thrust. 45 degree hip extension, RDL or squat kind of thing. You might place them in that sequence with a glute thing in mind. But even that, we'd still be bearing in mind what's this person's spinal tolerance and things like. Uh, we've, I think we've all got some clients who, that would sound great on paper, but you know they just end up feeling their spine by the time they get to that 45 degree hip extension. We're like, okay, we need to do some other work before we can maybe get to that point. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I
0: mean, that hopefully gives a bit of an idea on that one sweet i don't think we need to add anything for those listening i I just made a funny face um so um next question same guy agp training um a reasonable body fat percent starting point to go into a growing phase without having to do a tidy up phase first 80 percent done next question (laughs) (laughs) i mean that one i would say obviously body fat is a good marker to go by in some cases but it's not any like clear indication that someone is you know actually in a position where they can grow because that your ability to grow you know is largely going to come down to it's a you know hypertrophy is a signaling based process and it's you know it's not just as simple as put more food in and i have to be lean and therefore i can grow um like your body's got to be able to respond to all the signals from a chemical perspective and all this stuff and that doesn't always happen in the case of low body fat especially when it gets extremely low mm-hmm. and you create you know people in the like competition preps they will be so stressed in that that end bit towards prep that they're actually not prime to grow you need to spend the first you know week you know two like two weeks to a month kind of letting them recover before their body's in any position to then go okay now i can start laying down some tissue because the very process of building muscle tissue is hard and stressful for the bodies to do So, you know, know, to add to ask the boy to add to that stress in a period when it may be lean, it's also very stressed out. It's not, not potentially. The person
1: will also have been, you know, just aiming at this competition or this show for a while. And now that's finished, they've got to shift their focus psychologically. They've been working towards this thing. They're usually, as Luke kind of said, going to want a few weeks to a month or so of just settling and kind of reestablishing some stuff before then Mm. pushing hard into whatever next goal comes up for them.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, but we know like, and there, there's like the body fat, I don't know what you'd want to term it like, sweet spots, we could call it like, you know, like or the upper limits where you'd want body fat to go, um, you know, and there is, a, I believe there's some research on this, but anecdotally, you know, it's, you you know, if someone, if a male is maybe pushing up upwards of 20%, you know, you're potentially going to lose some sort of insulin sensitivity and some of that kind of, depending on their state at the time, like the, like their healthiness of their body, um, which and obviously we need a level of health involved in terms of like for that, that signaling cascade to work and everything like that. Like we don't want too much inflammation present and stuff, which will accompany high body fat levels. Mm -hmm. Same with women though, that like the, Body fat level is probably a little bit higher with women. Generally, it will sit a lot higher, generally. Um, so it might not be 20%, it might be a bit quite a bit higher than that. Um the but the point there is we can push it too high, but you could potentially still grow relatively effectively, even around the 15% mark, provided you managed all these other factors. You don't need to be single digit, you know, coming off a contest prep to be like, oh now i can grow this is the only time i can grow so that and that that's kind of good news for people hopefully because there are a lot of people that maybe are in that position and they go well i can't build muscle because i'm not super shredded so i've got to get super shredded to try and build muscle it's like it's not how it works like we see that all the time with beginners that start training and they might start training and that's again it depends you that you'll see beginners that start training they could be like 30 percent body fat and they'll build muscle because of the novelty of the stimulus. But that's, again, because the signals that their body's getting is so new.
1: There's an old um, S&C phrase, which is looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Yeah. And the idea was like sometimes just because you look shredded and amazing head doesn't mean that's where peak performance occurs. So it looks like Tarzan plays like Jane is making that mistake of looking at the person who's in phenomenal shape and being like, oh, my God, he must be the best athlete. But no, <laughs> let's not confuse those two things. Yeah we also got within that as well like well how are you measuring that body fat like we're not that accurate at measuring body fat so unless you've got a dexa or some hydrostatic weighing device like we're gonna have to accept that you're probably ballparking your body fat percentage within that so if you think you need to be oh it's 20 percent. well how precise does that even need to be or how precise can you even be with that unless you've got that so it comes back to that same thing we were saying it's not a perfect number we can't give you an exact oh it's this
0: and um and yeah and you and it's going to come down to how well you manage those other factors that can add to someone's stress and their ability to recover and you know are they sleeping well all this yeah. sort of stuff it's the you know because you could get someone who's super super shredded off the back of a contest prep and they're stressed as shit and they're not sleeping and all, and all this stuff you're like they're not going to build muscle that well don't care how lean they are um till you get all that stuff in place they might gain weight back and then they'll gain size with that so like oh yeah i'm looking bigger it's like yeah you just put a bit of a good bit of water a good bit of fat filled your like glycogen stores back up you'll gain some size with that <laughs> whether that's actually indicative of hypertrophy is another question um but anyway the uh yeah so it's it's uh i'd say explore that one and and you know that's the thing when you're with Working with people now, if you, if you take that view of they don't have to be overly shredded to grow, hopefully that can kind of help you out a bit. And part of
2: it from a coaching application point of view is, well, what's the end result or end goal for the client? Yeah. Are they someone who actually would just be happy getting down to whatever, an average of sub 15? Or they, do they want to be photo shoot shape? Or do they want to be stage shape? So knowing that depending where their end goal is, depends on maybe a better place to potentially sit around. Um, because if they want to get on stage and then you're trying to build a picture and, and sitting around 20%, 25%, then you've got a hell of a job to get down. Yeah. But if there's someone who's just, would be happy just to see an app or two, then <laughs> if, they bulk, if they bulk at 20% and they've got to get down to that 15, then they're going to be over moon. They'll be fine to sit there. So it, it depends on the individual and their end goal in terms of where they want to get to, or where their visualization of what is lean for that person. Yeah. yeah. once you've stepped on stage nothing else is lean but for the majority <laughs> of people just seeing an outline of your abs is lean
1: percent. Yeah. like for most of you who've ever competed or done photo shoots the condition you casually walk around in that you think is fat is the condition most people are aiming at getting to yeah
0: yeah and the um i, I mean that that's let's say on the back of that there'll be people listening that'd be like, Ooh, like there is a benefit to going lower because it allows you to grow for longer. Yeah. So, you know, there is that argument as well. When if you, so and that's the benefit that when people do compete and they do do photo shoots and stuff like that, they come out of those processes at a lower body fat set point, which means that they can grow. They have that kind of bigger, Like they're more leeway essentially more time available that they can spend in a surplus before because if we spend time in a surplus whether you're assisted or or natural you are going to accrue body fat and like inflammation is going to get out of hand eventually potentially um so you've got longer before that potentially happens so you can potentially grow for longer um, so there is
2: the, the point I'm getting across is just because we visualise something as being lean doesn't yeah. mean our clients are so if yeah. we're talking within the physique industry and our clients come to us don't put our expectations on them that's what I'm trying to say as coaches because yeah. they're a lot of times never going to get to a point where they can build muscle because in our eyes yeah. they might always have some body fat there um, but for them they're probably more than happy in the mid-teens sense yeah. so it's always understand who you've got in front of you
1: yeah, and that's the same thing that you were saying That You're going to hear it across a wide variety of domains. If you're going to be client-centered, we've got to have a conversation with the client and start to see, well, how do they see the world and how do they want to see themselves and how do we help them bridge that gap? So mm. as, as uh, I'm pretty sure it was Steven Segal said, and under siege, assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. So let's... Uh, it, so. let's so. Yeah, there you go. So just make sure you're not making those mistakes, as Jimbo said.
0: Yeah, amen. Yeah. And uh yeah, and then get everyone shredded because that's the way and then ignore <laughs> all
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every
2: client that comes to you has to get photoshoot shredded.
0: Yeah.
2: Be fair, that and is of the approach everything.
0: The unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but no, so hopefully that helps. There isn't a set body fat. Um boom. Um, so next question. And we might this might end up being the last one because it's a double, a double whammy. Um whammy. Best way for a young lad to get into PTing, online coaching, and be successful. Um, what are your thoughts? And the, I mean, the other part to this was, if you're a successful PT, what could uh, be the next steps if you don't want to transition online?
1: Make friends with the Rock. Probably a pretty good chat. Yeah, you'd be, be set from there. Get
0: into movies, like you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. no, but yeah, so successful like essentially tips for being a successful coach PT
1: and they're just starting out. So I like was just
0: a young lad to get into PTing online slash online coaching. I mean, firstly, they're two different things.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so hence why we make the distinction quite often of PT and coach or PT and online coach, or you could call it personal coaching.
1: I, I feel like the boys will agree with me on this. I don't think you can be a very good online coach unless you've done some PT No, we said a reasonable length of time.
0: That's the problem. That's yeah, it's a big problem that a lot of people are literally going straight online. It's like, where's the experience understanding exercise on the gym floor, understanding clients and their different anatomies, and communicating with people in person? All these sorts of things you gain from even
2: the the bigger thing with that as well is a lot of people are promoting almost not actually online coaching, just (laughs) online program (laughs) writing, or like they're trying to make the whole coaching process. As efficient as possible. So you're not actually got any communication rapport or ability really to coach.
1: Yeah, there's no coaching. This is online systemizing of things.
0: (laughs) Pretty much. That is what Mm -hmm. we peddle these days, isn't it? They say, I'm a coach and I'll give you a personalized plan. It's like there's nothing personalized about giving someone a plan that you've given to 100 other people. No. (laughs)
1: and that's not to say that people that everyone uses some template structures for their kind of things but what you plug and play into that has to be dependent on what that client is presenting with you and what their goals are and the same thing we just mentioned about who is this person and what are they aimed at but i mean i would probably say if you're first starting out if you can find or get a job in a gym probably like a up maybe or an m10 or something kind of like that where there is a process where you're going to be around people who are better than you, where there is like a mentorship through that, I think that's gonna speed things up far more than, you know, I spent six years at a David Lloyd. Most of that was pointless. Uh, Well, it was pointless in a learning perspective. You know, you you build a bunch of time spent with, with clients and what have you, and that's useful. But from the education for myself, that was all done off my own back, rather than if you're at some of these other places, you are put through a process internally to get you up to speed. It it's it's just being like an end
0: you just your David Lloyd clients, like it was useless. They were suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still suck. Some
2: of them are still
1: with me. Sorry
0: again.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just
2: think in the um, like UP M10 power environments, just being surrounded day on day for 12 hours a day by coaches who want to train, want to learn by continual sort of clients like that, that isn't an invaluable. Right? Um, and say, around in that. David and I'm not going to say all David Lloyds at all. You can't so say all David You might Lloydson be also. one coach of five, 10, 15 coaches. who actually really care. Yeah.
0: Because
2: mm. a huge amount of PTs out there just can't really be asked and they're in it just for a couple of years as a short career. They don't see it as a long-term vision. Um, so a lot of times you will be the only person doing some studying. You will yeah. be the only person really working on your physique. You will yeah. be the only person who really actually cares about the clients and the results they get with you. Um, so the more you can get in front of other people, other coaches, like money coaches, going on the courses, stuff like that, network, that in itself is going to be massive. Yeah. And From a potential slight different avenue from a business point of view, I would always say when the time's appropriate, get in a place where you can pay rent and you're not employed. Because yeah. if you can pay whatever it is nowadays, 300 to a thousand pound a month of rent, like that's actually relatively not that much money at all to run a business. To think you're running a business out of a facility um, that the overheads are covered, everything's covered, your clients, thousands, potentially of clients there that you can potentially access and be in front of, um, that can be a great way to earn a good revenue and earn 30, 40, 50, 60, 70K plus a year yeah. from in that type of business model, which a lot of PTs almost look down on. But that actually has got massive scope and massive potential.
1: I actually think it's easier to build an online business than, uh, sorry, an in-person business than an online business. Way easier. The lead time, look, the lead time for someone online following you, liking you, trusting you, and eventually be willing to buy from you amongst all the competition that there is out there, that's massive. In person, I can have a chat with you, get to know you in five to 10 minutes, and potentially have you as a client at the end of it. Like, that's so different good. Yeah, so-
0: especially when Paul works his magic and he gets your number like straight away. He's like, such a number?" <laughs> <laughs> number. Yeah, I mean, he does it on men, women, or right. like doesn't matter.
1: Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Have I t- I told you this story before about uh, <laughs> an old client of mine t- uh, told me that he knew a PT. Who moved into Soho? Set up a grinder account. Oh god! <laughs> put just shirtless pictures of himself on this grinder account and filled his books within like three days. So you know, there's there's way there's loads of options for you to uh, to fill your books. And he only had to have sex with like 53 guys <laughs> just to to make a good living. He's fine. Wasn't even gay, but he's he's doing well now. So so there's marketing options out there. You just gotta think outside the box.
0: No, no but no, uh, I mean, like, and then the other component which we didn't. Oh, know. I was going to bring that back to. More
1: <laughs> yeah, were you? <laughs> I was going to say
0: <laughs> think, like, you, don't, you to, don't
2: forget, he, forget he, about who do you know within your social circle. Who do your parents know that potentially you can start a network? Don't just think online for people that don't know you at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. even if we're talking a young guy or girl early twenties, there's still a fair few people that you know that you've gone to school with, college with, uni with, where your parents know stuff like that. Reach out, network with them. And even in the early days, if it is coaching a few people for free, if you can get a few transformations under your belt, if you can get your own transformation under your belt, that in itself is going to catapult you to bring in more business. Uh, That's huge ability that you can use to leverage there. And if you're someone who is a PT face-to-face, even if you're training your mum's mate or something like one of your mates, people don't know that. They don't know who you're training. They just see you on the gym floor. They see you applying your craft. And that is, is one of the best ways to sell. Like, rather than just walking up to people and trying to build a poor if they can see you working on the gym floor with someone and then after that session then if you approach someone if you walk up to someone they've seen you deliver coaching they've seen how you build the poor it's like about that so look within the people you know that's, uh,
1: that's cool. you can also start even thinking of you know selling a service is often more difficult than selling a product And when we sell PT, you might know what PT is in your head, but the client doesn't necessarily know what PT is. So having something that is clearly laid out for them, this is a 12 week thing. Here's what happens at each phase of that. Here's what you can expect. Here's what you get with all of these things, making as much transparency as you can for what that person is going to be buying and what they're getting from that and then deliver it. That becomes quite useful as well, rather than this abstract pt thing that not very clear for a lot of clients when they're starting out yeah
0: and i mean the the, the side we haven't spoken about um which will be less because you know you said best way for a young lad to get into pting online coaching and be successful like there's the client acquisition side of things and building a client base and stuff like that but then learning like getting stuck into studying and stuff um like for the portal no um no the what i was actually gonna say is getting on courses and stuff in person but like to you know recognizing straight away that there is a ridiculous amount to learn in in the fitness industry and that's actually a good thing Like in the sense of that that might some people might look at that and be like oh my god what um i I didn't think there was that much you like it's a good thing because it should keep you busy for quite a few years um, of your career. And if you have a career where you're like, actually, there's not, it shouldn't really be a point where I stagnate and I, I know everything you're like, you're constantly learning. That's actually quite a cool driver for a lot of people, but getting on courses in person and getting into communities, you know, whether it's stuff like our education board, that's one of the reasons we created it is, you know, you're surrounded by other professionals to a get awesome advice from, um you yeah, know the networking component there massively helped um that's how i've met all you guys really mm, but, yeah, yeah. um you know through doing courses and stuff like that um and you'll learn better things, you know more and, and that knowledge that you require will mean that you're able to help more people um and you're in a better you know you'll you'll be more confident in your own skills so you'll come across more confident your client retention will go up and you just have more tools under your belt to actually deliver an awesome and standout service rather than just being another PT. Um, if you're a
1: young lad as well with as I'm pretty sure is what the dude said. I'm going to presume then you still like live at home. So your expenses and stuff are super low. Hmm. One, you're going to need a thick skin for a couple of years because clients will come and go and you're going to be like, oh, my God, what did I do? And maybe you did do something wrong. But I, even if you didn't, it's hard to not take that stuff personally, especially earlier on. And two, reinvest a crap load of that money back into education. It's going to feel like, oh my God, I'm paying two grand for a course. I barely have two grand or whatever that thing is. I promise you, if you put it in the right places, things like Integra and RTS and coming to the stuff we run, you will get that back very, very quickly because your expertise and skill set will grow massively. And it doesn't take you being that good with some of the stuff we cover, especially in the mechanics side of things, to really make you stand out relative to the average PT. Like, honestly, a two-day seminar applying some basic stuff will set you head and shoulders above basically every other PT in a David Lloyd. Yeah. It will. I can guarantee you it. And that will transform your business and give you stuff to go and do with a client where they're like, oh my God, I've never experienced that before. My quads have never felt that. And that makes it super easy to then sell what you do.
0: It's the difference between those clients that come, you know, away from PTs and they're like, oh yeah, that didn't feel great. And You know, he just beasted me and now I feel shit and I can't move to being like, yeah, this guy understood me, he understood my body. The exercises felt insane. Like, you know, they felt great. And, you know, they come away going like, yeah, I feel like, yeah. It's another good question.
1: (laughs) For any consults, if you're running in-person PT, a good question for a consult is ask your client, how would you like to feel at the end of this session? Mm. Don't presume they want to feel beasted or presume they don't want to feel beasted or whatever that thing is. Ask them, just ask them. If they they want want to to
0: feel beasted, you don't have to train them. You just need to hit them with a baseball bat. Exactly. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) They'll get doms from that. Just like get them to sit on a leg extension and don't do it. You just hit them with a baseball bat.
1: And then tell them off for not being specific enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was not genuine advice, people. (laughs) 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 It's like some guy gets called in uh, arrested like what was he doing uh yeah on to the muscle mentors advice and hit his client with a baseball bat they like,
1: oh, said it was the muscle mentors method i'm not sure what, um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: definitely not definitely i blame jimbo he's uh, why bad. we have <laughs> the disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> a disclaimer don't hit anyone with a baseball bat
0: <laughs> uh, <nothing>, everything's <laughs> entertainment guys nothing
1: no medical uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway but no i mean that that hopefully anything else we'd add on that
1: Uh, We haven't really said anything about the online. So, oh, what was that question? Uh, Maybe transitioning if you didn't want to go
0: online. Yeah, so successful PT, what could be my next steps if I don't want to online coach? I mean, on the previous point, much of the same stuff applies. Like, if you want to be a good online coach, A, you're probably going to need to be a PT at some point. And now is actually a very good time. So people being like, oh, yeah, COVID killed the PT game. I and it's actually indicative it's done it the complete opposite and pt is now going to boom again it's
2: made people more aware yeah especially general population wise it made them more aware of, of health in yeah. general
0: so if you if you're in a position where you've gone online and you're like yeah it's kind of slow i'm not doing that well why not go and get a job at a gym as a pt because you're not killing it online which is actually surprisingly rare um you you as in it's rare to be a very successful online coach at the moment, given how many there are. Mainly because Cal
1: is just stealing all of the funds yeah. for everyone. So um, there's no one there. left.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you go in, you know, take this opportunity to go, yeah, I'll use the time to go get in a, you know, get a job in the gym, work on some of these skills and put the stuff to practice in a practical environment and build a client base there. You're still, you know, gaining skills that can use in either of those, you know, those business models. Um, and um, yeah, it will help you out immensely.
2: I think it's just oh, another separate point as well, is understanding it. It's a career. Mm. Like, I've been doing this for 14 years, probably what are you, 11 years? Yeah, 11 years. Something like that. And Luke's a little boy, so he's not quite as <laughs> fun. <far. laughs> but like, if you're thinking of it as a career and after six months, you're still not earning that X amount of K per month or whatever it is this business coach, that's not a problem. As long as you're earning a living, as long as you grow and you get by and you can see yourself saving a little bit more and stuff like that, it's going to take you two to five years. To really get somewhere and get something substantial in terms of a business, and even then, at certain points, I've gone transitions from a business. I'm like, oh shit, it's all going backwards now. Oh, I've all lost it. It's yeah. all going. Yeah. Like, you're gonna have that self doubt sometimes. It's, it's not. A, that's just a natural part of the process.
0: And, and you, it's the same in any industry. So, if you were going to go and work, I'll use the example of a lawyer again because I've been watching Suits. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, like, like, but it's the thing. I knew that before I watched Suits. Like, if you go and work as a lawyer, you will like it will suck for a few years um because you'll be made to do all the shit stuff same if you work in the financial sector you you know you're not going to walk in and start killing it straight away obviously they're going to be well paid but you know comparatively for the hours you work all this stuff it's going to hurt for a while um, yeah. and you'll go in and have to do some shit stuff that you don't particularly enjoy and then you'll kind of Earn, you know earn your place and you know, things will take a bit of a turn and that's same kind of thing that will happen in the fitness industry like to put
1: it in perspective as well like if we're talking about expenses on education like i spent comfortably over 10k last year on courses mm-hmm. like to put that like i've spent more basically almost year on year since i've been doing this mm. and coincidentally my income has also pretty much gone up alongside doing those bits and pieces so i think it keeps you like intellectually engaged which for me is a super important part of having this as a career but also oh it seems to have this knock-on effect on what i deliver which has a knock-on effect on how much i earn that's all the win-win so you know don't be afraid to to put that money back into something that might matter
0: and yeah make make sure that stuff you're interested in obviously <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't need to necessarily be 10k. It needs to be 11k.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, anything under 10 doesn't count. <laughs>
0: no, but it, no, but as long as you're consistently investing, you know, and, and consistently working towards something, you know, doing you know, a couple of hours a week or an hour a week or something like that like it, that, okay. builds, that builds. Yeah,
2: that's, that's I've spent a hell of a lot of money in the past on education, traveling especially. And nowadays, like the entry point for education is so cheap coaches don't realize how ridiculously cheap online courses are subscription websites hint, hint, hello to us um <laughs> how cheap they are nowadays like, i was paying thousands and thousands in the early days to travel and go to a course that cost 500 pounds but you start to pay for accommodation you still lost out on some revenue I right? there's still paying for the flights and everything um, where nowadays just the access to stuff online is key and then when it's available try and get face-to-face where possible yeah yeah, good,
0: yeah, but hopefully that helps. So yeah, so the next, which we could wrap up.
1: We have the, I think there was that one last bit of yeah, so what, what if you could, don't want to go into an online yeah. coach, what
0: could you transition you, to? As a successful one-to-one PT, what could be your next steps if you didn't want to go? I think the,
2: the biggest thing that I think people need to think of is the online model, but run that face-to-face. So transition more on a consultation-based service or start to offer consultation where you write nutrition and training programs and maybe you take them through a workout, a set, something like that, um, set up for for an hour. But then you see them every week or every two weeks for 20 minutes, 15 minutes. And it's a review of their lifestyle, nutrition, training, diet, mindset, etc. So you run that sort of online model, but face-to-face, because that's where your market is. Your market's face-to-face. So why would you leave your current business marketplace to go in front of millions and millions of people online? no you'd stay where everyone knows you. you'd you stay where you've got rapport with people and you try and build your local area if you're already running 25 to 40 PT sessions a week well how can you run 15 PT sessions a week but now do 15 hours that's consultation based like a chiropractor where they've got 15 20 minute appointments and they come in and see you nutritionally or you measure them or whatever it may be but you run that consultation service face to face and how can you initially when people start with you maybe sell a package which is two or three times a week but after 12 weeks six months whatever it may be they only now see you once a week Mm. if you've got continually people who see you three times a week year on year you can only handle 10 12 15 clients but if you want to scale your business at some time you some point in time you have gotta be able to handle multiple clients so how can you start bringing them people down to our sessions or the second or third session in the week, how can that be a 40-minute session rather than an hour? Because you're just getting in there. They've done the mobilizing, warm-up, whatever it may be, and you're just actually training them.
1: The other ones you've got are potentially, if you've got that many inquiries, so I'm going to assume you've got like a good website and a good way of getting people coming towards you. You've got, you've got a good network or a good referral system. Is taking on a coach who works under you that you take a cut up there? And it, you it, yeah. take advantage of providing them the clients. That's yeah. that is an option to you as well.
0: That was to say. So people have that model in the online. There's no reason why you can't use that yeah. So like, and yeah, especially if it's a coach working in the same gym as you, you know, there'll be people, and you could take on a mentoring role, yeah. um, sort of thing. But is yeah, you know, if it is someone in the same gym, you obviously have the opportunity to then oversee their work and make sure they're not taking the piss as well. Because obviously, you would. The trade-off is you'd be putting your reputation on the line there. Um, yeah, yeah. so that you'd have to you know, have quite a stringent hiring process there but there's no reason why you can't do that, that can be a lucrative passive income stream and you can imagine you can also look
1: semi-private so rather than just one-to-one it's going kind to of go two-to-one four-to-one kind of things charge them a little less but you get more in for that and then you use those at maybe your peak times because they're going to be more popular and you do one-to-one stuff in the middle of the day when things aren't going to be as busy that's an option mm-hmm. and then obviously you've got things like opening your own place mm-hmm. as a, as i a think platform. if
2: that like the semi-target type business model is done appropriately with some form of check-in or uh, appointment where you look at this stuff nutrition wise or training wise or outside of what they're doing in that small group session. Or maybe they've got one hour a week that's one to one. But the second or third hour, if they want to do two or three sessions a week, or if that's your package that you're selling, they're always done as two or three people at once. So it's just looking at little average like that. And before you know it, you can potentially double the amount of revenue you're bringing in by bringing in these more consultation based services or bringing in some small group based stuff but still not pull down the level of service that you're delivering in any way whatsoever. And then obviously like you're thinking, yeah, hire someone on you or try and find your own place. But for some people that's daunting. For some people in in London type areas, Birmingham, the revenue needed to try and do that type of thing is insane. Um, So I fully understand for a lot of people that's potentially not even an option because of the down payments and everything they need. Um, But there's still these other ways you can a lot of times you can do that's not purely based around the face-to-face, but can leverage the type of models that people are talking about uh, from online coach detective, but actually still face to face. Yeah,
1: yeah, that should be plenty there. There's loads. The idea there is there's loads of avenues if you really start thinking about them. Yeah. Mhm.
0: Yep. Or you uh, just like find
1: some way to blackmail your current clients and triple
0: your prices and hmm.
1: you get dirt on them. You see what they're up to, what scandalous behaviour, and you just blackmail super strong and if you've got real wealthy clients that really pays off yeah <laughs> this is the
2: on that point it is you know, like before you sometimes even think into the other areas we're talking about it's knowing that are you charging enough yeah what is the what is the price limit in a sense for your area yes i know in, in nottingham i've got to charge less than someone charges in london you know, i've got how many extra years of experience in there but i still i charge double what any other probably coach does in nottingham but i'm still charging less than someone does it in london so have you almost maxed out your what you can charge within your area um and then start to look at all the other stuff we spoke about.
0: and then and that will come with you know you you might start you then think oh, but if i put my price up i'll, I'll lose clients and it's like not if you do it right and you take ownership of it and you know that your service is worth it and all this stuff. You, you know, people. Don't I mean, you it. might lose some, but yeah. But even it depends. We'll come on the back. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. Um. Anyway, but yeah, that should. Uh, I was going to say the formula for our podcast does seem to be like genuine answer,
1: absolute bullshit.
0: Answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the benefit of Ross not being here is there hasn't been a Lord of the Rings massive. Talent. Oh no. So I think the people are either going to really enjoy that or dislike that right.
0: intentionally. Paul, Paul, let's talk Star Wars for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, and um, yeah, thank you for listening, people. Thank you guys, as usual. That was cool. Funny. Hope it was thank useful. Um, and um,
3: happy birthday, Paul. Thanks, buddy. All right, catch you on the next one, people. Thank you for listening to the Muscle Mentors podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors who support the channel and everything we do in the realms of education and coaching within the industry. Firstly, our original sponsor, Supplement Needs, they've been with us from the start. If you're seeking the highest quality supplements on the market, particularly organ support and health-orientated products, you can use code MUSCLEMENTORS at checkout for 10% off your order. Precision Prep, our recently introduced food preparation partner, delivering the finest quality meal prep across the UK, Featuring their new Pro Prep range, a concept closely developed with us to solve an issue we see day-to-day with time limitations and nutritional compromise. If you're seeking the highest quality nutrition delivered to your door for the best price, look no further. Use code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for 15% off your first order and 10% thereafter. And lastly, Rare Optics, the highest grade blue, lock, blue light blocking glasses on the market with the slickest style. In a world filled with artificial light, particularly those with high screen time, I can certainly say I'm one of them. These can be a real game changer for sleep quality and recovery, something we use personally on a day-to-day basis. Grab yourself a pair by using code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for money off all orders. Once again, thank you for your continued support. Until next time.